Hearts up. Whoa! All right. Good morning, traders and investors. It's time to wrap up 2023 and look at 2024. We got a big lineup coming in. I'll give you that. Todd Gordon, 810. Sayhawk Malwellian at 830. Michelle Meesnyder, 850. Cameron Dawson, 910. And we're going to end some things with Gene Munster. I got some tough questions for him. It's Wednesday. It's the end of the year for me. Let's get it going. Pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Okay, investors, let's get a quick look at the markets. SPs making a new high for the move and closing high yesterday, up a buck and a quarter, 48.26 and a quarter. The buck is down. That's something we're going to talk about today. Down eight cents, just above 101. Bonds up just under a half a point, 124 and 21 30 seconds. Crude giving a little bat back, down 73 cents to 74.83. Gold inching towards 2100, up 940 at 20, 79.20. Silver not participating. That's down a couple pennies, 24.36. Bitcoin futures, they're up 720 at 42,870. Let's bring in Triple D here and uh, Triple D putting a nice shirt on here for the year end special. But Dennis, you didn't Wait. tell me you were getting sponsors for the show. No, when's the last time I wore a collared shirt on the show? I needed to be all fancy for you, but check it out. I'm representing. There it is, my favorite beer, Miller Time. <laughs> my brother-in-law got me that shirt for Christmas. I'm like, I'm wearing that on the show because that shirt is beautiful. This is my collared shirt. It's me when I go out for a fancy dinner. This will be the one I wear. So we won't go into it. A Canadian that's favorite beer is Miller beer. I know. I, I know. I, I, it's I all those wor years working in Detroit. That's what did it for me. Yeah. All those uh, years working in Detroit because beer is always expensive in Canada. So when I worked in Detroit, I always pick my beer in the States. Fill up your car, pick up your beer, pays for your trip. Anyway, so I got onto the Miller Light and I've never come off it. Okay. So... Quiet day yesterday, sneaker rally, uh, uh, two day of the Santa Claus rally, second day comes to comes to fruition, uh, moving up nicely, and uh, I don't know, just this slow roll north, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, and again, IWMO performing, so we can see, you know, the S&P has, has led, and the S&P is still ticking higher the last few days, but IWM has really been your leader here, it's still laggards are leading this rally. And there's been some significant laggards here that have turned it around on a dime. It makes going into next year a little bit tough, and I'm glad we're doing this preview show because normally I'm buying all the laggards coming into January. But, I mean, the laggards have been running for two months here for the most part. So you're really reaching to try to find the ultimate laggards here. I've talked about Alibaba as a potential laggard January effect trade. Talked about Pfizer as a potential January effect trade. Talked about SE, which our guest did yesterday 
as a potential January effect trade. But there's so many of them come back. Like Unity would have set up well for it. I'm still on Unity. Uh, but it's just running and running and running. It was up another 7% yesterday. So, I mean, this stock has was a dog in November. Remember, I had the bad earnings report, and that was the washout. Just quietly, since it did that $22 print on, on the disappointing earnings, the stock has doubled. So, I mean, these have been just some incredible moves here in the last month and a half. The year that looked pretty crappy in October has turned around and everything looks good here now. So bulls end up winning in the end, stay bullish long enough. You end up winning money, it seems like. Quick question here and a good question from Eric M. Talking about the change in leadership and your hedging patterns here. Uh, and I know it depends on the stock and the sector yeah. here. But yeah. do you find yourself going to the IWM a little bit more? Yeah, here for, yeah you do, huh? Yeah, I actually do. Um and, and the reason for that is when you're seeing, it depends on what I've got, but if I've got a lot of like smaller stocks or small caps or, or different things, like once you're into the Microsofts and the Apples, you know, you're using SPY or QQQ as, as a hedge. But when you're into some smaller stuff or you're trading some of the smaller stuff, or you're looking for catch-up trades, yeah, IWM is a hedge too. So I have been using IWM a little bit more than I normally do. I use it especially like on earnings days and stuff when you're going to get you know, one or two major companies reporting that are going to impact the S&P. I typically will use IWM as a hedge on those days just because it's more broad and I'm not going to be influenced by like just one stock. Like, for example, like the days that Apple was to report or the days that Google's report, SPY is going to significantly move off of that report where IWM will not move as much. So it's kind of a better hedge for the overall market on those days. All right, let's bring in Money Mitch here on this uh, Wednesday morning. And uh, Mitch, uh, observing the slow rally north here, what uh, any movers catching your attention? Well, I took some swings yesterday on live trading, uh, NVIDIA and PayPal. So let's take a look right at, let's go to PayPal first. Uh, I sure. think this is a nice little setup. Uh, just covered a little bit this morning, just to give full disclosure here, 62.32 my price. Um, going to continue to watch this. I think that this, the reason why I'm watching PayPal is I've been looking for leadered laggard style trade. Uh, toast has been one that I mentioned about a week and a half ago that started to get going, but this is all off of square, right? All off a of block. Essentially that's the leader taking the big rip up. And as long as I can see that one continuing the climb, I'm like, why not PayPal, man? It's been sitting there. It's been a loser, could get started to get picked up, especially going into January 1st. So I took a little bit into it and started to get moving. What do you see on that chart, Joel? You need, I mean, uh, over 64. I mean, there things get, yeah, real interesting. You can see how it peaked there last week and then two weeks ago. And then you got you got good support forming uh, just under 62. So it's nice. You know where your risk is. Uh, Square has definitely outperformed. I guess we haven't heard from the uh, from the people that put the short report on it. That definitely put the hurt on it. But still, I mean, you look at these stocks and I mean, yeah, they've had some rallies. But if you look on the bottom right chart, I mean, <laughs> They just are, be getting started, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> giving it perspective that obviously, you know, it's been a you know, very few stocks that led this rally the whole time. The last couple of months, yeah. there has been a catch up trade here. But when you give perspective here, I mean, PayPal is not even close to back to where it was. I don't mind this trade here, Mitch. I'm not long it, but you're making me interested here. 
you know, you go into your trusty Benzinga Pro and you always say buy good companies with reasonable valuations. I'm not sure PayPal's a fantastic company anymore, but is there a trade here? Does the chart look sleepy? Yes. Is there a catch-up trade? Probably in January. Maybe. Is the PE ridiculously low? The Ford PE on this puppy is 11. I mean, the, the current PE is 18. So they have basically punished PayPal down to a valuation where the stock is actually from a fundamental perspective as cheap as it's probably ever been. So, I mean, is there a potential catch-up trade in January if we get a continued, you know, laggard rally here? Maybe. Yeah, and when you consider it against, like, kind of Block, I think Block is trading at a PE of 28. So I'm like, well, that's that's a lot cheaper here on PayPal. It's, it's so. a lot cheaper than it used to be for Block. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Block used to be, like, what, 60, 80s? Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Yeah, um, some of the multiples have come down. And then uh, NVIDIA, what do you guys see on this report? Do you guys feel like this, something in me, the reason why I took it yesterday is I feel like it can make a little bit of a run to 500 even before the end of the year. I like it before the end of the year. Because this was your ultimate 2023 stock. And I still think there's the potential here that NVIDIA can make a new all-time high by the end of the year. But again, you've only got, what do we got, three days left? Yeah, Yeah, three days left here. You lose track when you get that Monday off. So we only got three days left today, tomorrow, and the next day. Could NVIDIA, posing the question in the chat to make a new all-time high by the end of the year? That number is 505.48. So it's only 10 bucks away. I mean, one day could do it. But it sets up sleepy here right now, too. Mm-hmm. I kind of like this for a three-day trade. I'll tell you, once this thing establishes a bid over 500 then it's off to the races. I mean, it just look at that monthly resistance. It's just hit it so many times. So resistance is resistance, and you know until it's taken out. But it's just a, just been an incredible level. Of, I mean, not not only this month, last month's going back to uh, uh, earlier in the year as well. So that will be that will be the breakout trade for Nvidia. When and if we get a five hundred bid. So All here right. we go. Uh, Todd Gordon is in studio here, and it is 810, and we have the number of guests coming up with their preview here. So obviously, we want to know what everybody else is thinking, too. Um, can we go grab Todd? Yeah, of course. Let's go ahead and do so. Let's get to our guest time. So today, guys, get ready. You're going to get the outlook from pre-market prep. Smash the like. Let's get it started. Todd Gordon, founder of Inside Edge Capital and TradingAnalysis.com. Todd, how you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. How are you? Now we're doing pretty good. So, Thanks I'll for having just, me. Yeah. So what do you think your biggest mistake was? I know you've had a decent year, but like, if you had to like pick one thing in 2023 that kind of stumped you, and then I'm going to follow up and ask you what your biggest mistake in 2024 is going to be. <laughs> um, biggest mistake in 23, probably trying to diversify my growth fund a bit too much, get a little too much sector uh, allocation. I think that's probably a similar story. It, you know, it's it, that's my worst mistake. I. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'm giving myself a pass, but, um, you, you know, just not concentrating on, on mega cap growth on the, on the way back. And, um, you know, just trying to get more exposures or seeing more of a rotation into value. So 
the growth portfolio drag just to touch on that. I, I, I'd have to think about that, but no, nothing catastrophic in 23, although a few weeks left, but it, you know, one week left, but it was a, it was a good year. <laughs> and then, and then follow up. What's going to be the biggest mistake in 24? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Not taking your advice on the Belmont. That's going to be here in Saratoga, Joel. <laughs> Um, the Belmont's going to be in Saratoga? It's going to be in Saratoga this year. Yeah. <laughs> so I would have to adjust. Well, okay. Wow. I have to adjust my plans there. Okay. So, so Todd, yeah. uh, and I, I'm going to just take you back into stocks here too, because, um, you know, 2023 was a year where a lot of people were fooled. 2023 was a year where a lot of people, including myself, I stayed under invested in my long-term account, did pretty well trading. Trading's kind of independent of, of um, my predictions. But I mean, I probably stayed bearish too long. And I think, you know, what what is 2024? I want to ask you, you know, coming into 2024, like we've had this setup, you know, in 2023, where it seemed like it was going to be pretty tough. Interest rates were going higher. Inflation was still rampant. Well, now we set up the opposite where inflation, you know, the Fed appears to have gotten on top of it and interest rates are supposed to be going down. So it sets up pretty well for the bulls. Is there a potential that this could be a rug pull or is the bull just continue humming along? And we just have a fantastic year once again for the bulls. What are your thoughts for 2024? Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been an unbelievable move up. I, you know, I think, I think we've all become macro economists this year, I think, to successfully trade. And I think the biggest thing, um, I can't, I brought along a few charts. I don't know if you guys oh, want yeah, to. Yeah, oh, please. Go ahead, steer. Keep it conversational or what. Um, and let me see. Share screen. Yeah. Share screen. Uh, window number. What is this here? Three. Um you know, I think the biggest thing is this whole concept of nominal versus, versus real yields. And I, I've showed you guys this chart before. Um, but, you know, yeah, we have inversion uh, where, where obviously tens are going to be lower than twos. But if you look in the, the real yields, the expected inflation, the 50 to 60 basis points of inversion that we continue to have here on the top end, um, exist. But if you look at the real yield curve, we have really come back to flat, you know, no inversion. So, you know, I, I think the thing that, you know, we got to look at is what happens if the 10 to real yield curve continues higher. And I think this has been one of the, I think the best tells for me is, yeah, we have seven and a half percent interest rates, mortgage rates, right? But if if your if your net cost is three and a half or four percent, you know, so all of a sudden it doesn't look so bad. Companies continue to borrow, they invest, they can do stock buybacks. When you have that embedded three percent inflation, that sticker shock on the nominal rate doesn't look too bad. So I think the real yield curve is a big one. Um, and then you know I've showed you guys this one before. You know I don't often go quant and do a whole bunch of you know back testing and, and stuff like that, but. This one was was interesting, and, and I keep hearing, okay, what happens when, if and when yield curve uh, comes out of inversion, do we go into recession? And you know, I look back into the 80s, 1982, which is as far as I could get for the real yield curve. You know, when we come out, if we come out of inversion, you know, the average return one and two year out is you know 14 and 22 percent. So you know, what would take the 10 to real yield curve 
further out or into normal status. There's a couple different ends to that. So, you know, I, you know, for me, I think I have another chart over here somewhere. Yeah, I mean, this is the the nominal yield curve. We're hanging at like 50 basis points of inversion. If we just don't drop down into 60, 70, 80 points of inversion, I'm thinking that this growth value ratio, which you can see is, is clearly correlated, if we could just hang around 50 basis points of inversion and work on the inflation expectations, value is probably going to underperform growth, provided earnings are good, you know, the, the geopolitical, domestic political stays as is. You know, I love the way the markets are trading. I think earnings have been solid. And again, factoring in that real versus nominal yields and where we are in the yield curve, if things can stay the same and we could start to look at expected inflation in a different way, I think that's what continues the rally. I hope that, sorry for that long-winded answer. So your concern and maybe others' concern is that the Fed's going to get, you know, a little bit too easy, uh, you know, with because we've talked about this a lot. We're like, why can't rates just stay here? You know, why can't we just have, you know, pe- you know, the fixed income market, uh, people interest bearing, you know, uh, rates be a decent return? Because right. I mean, yeah, five, six, per- I mean, four or five. I mean, it's not too bad, of course, what the market did in the last couple months. But, you know, people feared that Powell was going to go too far raising rates. And now people might, is there any fear that he could go too far lowering rates? For sure. And and that's one of the, the, the I think, the trips that I have. Like I said, I'm super bullish. I, I love this rally, but I prepared this for you guys as well. Um, one of the things that can trip us up here next year, I'm going to get heavily technically on you. I'm sorry. Apologetically, I'm an Elliott Wave guy. I just can't be without it. I just don't I, be I was, apologetic. Don't about worry. That. I love yeah, it. I love it. Love it. it works can, for you, man. Look, you do what works for push you. Push about the way. Push these guys out of here. Let's get to the fibs. Talk fib to me, Todd. You guys are like my 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 uh, my psychologist here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in, in in this was this was super fun. I mean, this this sent the Elliott. I'm going to answer your question, Dennis. Like this sent the Elliott Wave community into a tizzy. Just all the debates as to what this mess was <laughs> at the end of 22 and 23, and, and they're yeah. still arguing about it. I'm right in the midst of it. It's really fun. But you know, if the uptrend started here in October, it's a clean five wave move up, and we may have a zone of resistance on the break to new highs in the S and P. The Nasdaq is is through highs. The S and P is into highs. So. After every five-wave move, I mean, Charles Dow gave us this even before Ralph Nelson Elliott came around and Bob Prechter interpreted his work years after the fact. Um, but after every five-wave move, we're going to need a three-wave pullback. So what is that going to be? And, and one of those points, Joel, I think you said it, is I don't think we need to cut six times. You know, what happens when the market realizes we might get one of those 2018-19 mid-cycle adjustments, maybe back it off once or twice, and then let's leave it at four, four and a half percent, provided earnings continue to be as good. Housing strong, like one of the catch up sectors that I have for is consumer discretionary. Like, you know, that could be it. Seasonality. And then, you know, maybe unfortunately, this is a very politically charged environment here into 24. So any of those reasons and maybe a train that we get hit that we don't see coming around the bend is a fourth or fifth reason the market sells off. But you know, I do think we we settle in maybe summerish, and then maybe they ramp it into the end of next year. So I love being bullish. I love the money we've made, uh, but I'm very aware that this might be five off the lows. 
I'll hop in here. I think that, yep. uh, you know, you're definitely looking at that and it makes sense uh, statistically wise. I know I've been watching kind of like Ryan Dietrich's presidential cycle and the first quarter is the toughest one of the next year. So this kind yep. of makes sense. And I can see that coming into play, uh, just running into a little bit of a wall, especially with all this optimism that has built up in the market. And then, of course, as we get closer and closer to elections, some optimism coming back into the market. So at least that kind of makes sense to me with the current environment. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, and too, I mean, if earnings continue to go, I mean, I I was giddy sitting waiting for these new money market funds to uh, uh, these new money market figures to come out. Uh, let me just go share screen again. Um, yeah. So we just we just came out at six point. So I was like, OK, I was making a, sort of a friendly bet with my my uh, clients and research members. We're at 5.91 trillion in Q2 of 23 for money market funds. And I was like, do we, yeah. can we go six bid? And it was 6.14 trillion in money market funds that again, they're making 5% nominal, but real is 2% when you're seeing earnings growth. You know, what's the S&P going to make this year, Dennis? 200 and I don't know, what is it going to be? 240, 230, 240 bucks. Do we know? For the year, uh, I, that estimate's all over the place, like obviously, but yeah, I've heard estimates that high. That's a little bit high. I was thinking two twenty five, but yeah, two twenty five, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, whatever the earnings growth are, I mean, they continue to go, and I think we're in an environment where, you know, CEOs are just they have such a pass with, you know, you know, citing the macro uncertain macro environments at the bar low, under promise, over deliver, and then you know maybe guidance is as bad as they think. And if I mean earnings continue to go with this amount of money, that earnings growth that comes out pretty soon, people are going to get tired of making net two percent. And yeah. I hate to be this money on the sideline guy, but the Nasdaq is going to close. We have a couple of days to go at all time highs. Like, wait, what? Like we we're supposed to go into recession, and the Nasdaq's at all time. Like, what? people are going to say, what the hell did I just miss? And I'm trying not to ramp. But, you know, the other thing is, okay, are we going to recession? And I just saw some stat, 75%, this is a funny one, 75% of economists, I don't know the source of the stat, 75% of economists expect a 50% chance of recession next year. I got you. That's from the National Association Still? of Business Economics. So I, I got you, Todd. Thank you, Mitch. And 76%. I, like, I got you. But definitely so, something that I had written down also. They still so, see the recession. So 50% chance we could go higher or lower from here? Is that the call? Yeah. Next <laughs> like, 12 months is 50% or less. 50 so pretty much. Time, it works every time. Just flip right? a coin. Just flip a coin. Let's see what happens. So, so what do you avoid it, Todd? What do you, what well, do you, well, now, I wanted to continue this. Let me just round this point. Let me just round this point. Let me just round this point. Unemployment better spike. I mean, these are all the recessions from Y charts back into the six, 60s, 50s. Every time we come in a recession, unemployment spikes. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes it happens before recession. Sometimes it's coincident with recession. We're a long way from unemployment spiking. So, some shock needs to come in to start putting people out of work for the recession to come in if you're going to use 60 plus years of data. Okay, sorry. What what brings, I just want to add to this, what brings that money market money into equities and back into equities is not the growth, you know, potential. It's if rates actually go down because there's a lot of people quite comfortable, Todd, 
five, six percent. And what I've done in my long-term portfolio, I'm a perfect example of this, is I had a lot of preferred stock, which would be considered equities in the most of it. I had consumer staples. I yep. had some of that stuff. I sold all that stuff a year and a half ago when rates started to go high enough that I'm like, why am I going to jump into Coca-Cola for a 3% dividend when mm -hmm. I can get 5% in a, in a money market instrument? So I think a lot of that money isn't so much that it was coming out of growth and hiding for recession, but it was actually coming out of conservative investments and going to guaranteed safety. So I don't think it's like the growth. I think it's going to be if interest rates start going down, that money market yield starts going from five to four and a half to four. Those consumer staple stocks that have been killed, some of them general mills, have been you know punished because there's just been an alternative here. So if we can get down where it starts to make sense to own those stocks again, that's where you start to see that money market money start to come back into equity. So I think, you know, and for myself you, as well, I will move out of those, you know, money market instruments. Like, and I have all the growth stuff. I didn't touch like a lot of the growth. I own NVIDIA, I own AMD, I own that stuff. But, you know, I have a balanced portfolio. I'm, not, I'm a little bit older now, so I'm not, you know, building just 100% growth like maybe I was doing 25 years ago. I like to get paid. So I would go back into more dividend type stuff if that yield started to drop and that would move me back in too. So rates really have to go down for that money market uh, money to come back into the markets, I think. I mean, I think you're, yeah, I hear you, but there's a lot, I think you're picking specific highly defensive sectors within defensive that have been punished where I think you could go back out as we're seems to be look at the rotations happening in real estate and financials right now. I mean, there's dividends. Yeah, but there's also a good amount of value stocks that are rotating in, not just at the large market cap down into the mid, mid and small that are also putting capital appreciation, capital growth in there as well. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, look at IBM. I mean, you know, I mean, Costco is more of a more of a growth stock, but there's plenty. I mean, real estate, XLRE, the right names like Prologis and and Digital Realty Trust. I mean, some of these guys, you know, they're paying three, four percent, but you're they're they're up ten percent on the year. You know, there's plenty of value stocks that you're getting growth, which I think if you're not in the ones that are being pegged, like I, I you know, I don't know if that marginal one percent drop in yields relative to which you can make risk free is enough for people to forego underlying capital appreciation along with the dividend. Yeah, and, and and if you think that's the case, but there's obviously been a lot of stocks too. Like, I mean, we can cherry pick anything as well. Yeah, there's been right, a lot right. of stocks that have performed while well, a lot of stocks have underperformed. I mean, XLP in the last two years is flat to down. Yeah, So, true. you know, if we just grab the bulk of them. XLU has not had a good couple of years. I no. mean, if we really look at where XLU is, for the last five years, we're at the same spot we were five years ago. And again, that's because people are buying the growth and they're hungry for growth. It, and I think a, I'm with you. I, mean, I think cool. there's a catch-up trade in some of these stocks. So I'm not saying I'm kind of with you. I'm just saying I think it's the interest rates themselves that are going to drive people out of this stuff. So I think when it's, once interest rates actually start to go down, other people are like, oh, crap, my money market's not yielding four and a half anymore or up to five somewhere for a while. It, Right. I, I think that's what brings it back in. Right, right. No, and, and that's absolutely fine. I mean, it's, you know, and I agree with you. And, and if it takes that to get that marginal buyer into some of the beaten down growth or value stocks, fine. But even more so if those rates start coming down and inflation expectations remain steady, then, I mean, that's just going to further propel growth higher. Right. I mean, if you look at, look, check a look, take a look at this chart. Um, yeah. Uh, share screen. Sorry, it's a couple couple steps here. Yeah. This is my favorite 
this is my favorite one. So this is nominal 10 year yields over value growth. And from 20, the chart even shows correlation prior to, prior to 22. But as yields are going up, value outperforming growth. And all of a sudden, first couple of weeks of 23, value growth ratio said peace out as yields kept going higher, major rotation into growth. And then it's almost like a little bit of a tail wagging the dog. And I guess to your point, if rates do drop, I don't think they need to drop the equivalent of five cuts you know, next year. But if we can get a few, you know, if we could settle into a 3.8, 10-year yield, I think this rotation, this continued outperformance of growth in the value is here. I mean, listen, I, I don't want to sound like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid with this exponential age, but, you know, the way the semis are, are acting sans NVIDIA. NVIDIA can't break out of 500, but there's so many other semiconductors yeah, ones. that are ripping. Yeah. Yeah, Go catch ahead, up trade in, in semis themselves. I mean, AMD is the best example yeah. i mean Take it a look was at in, in, in the last two months it's been you know one of the Take best a look at Lamb the research best. i mean semi-equipment yeah. kla 10 core um i mean there's 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 20 of them out there in in semis i mean the the widespread application in this is real it's just to increase margins increase efficiency that's why i think valuations are going to continue to go i think earnings continue to be good the ceos continue to set the bar low and under promise over deliver i um, I, I don't know. I don't want to be a perma bull. I never want to be accused of that because I pride myself. I'm a trader like you guys. Like I, I run money. I, I I've been trading, you know, not quite as long as you as you guys, uh, uh, Dennis and Joel. But, you know, I could be short. I could be cash and short in an hour and both my money management, you know, certainly my own stuff. But I don't know. I'm just. Dennis, what? You're a cautious you, bull. You're a cautious bull. He's We're a full against- bull. I'm a cautious bull, but I, I'm with you, Todd. I, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same side as you because it's hard to be bearish in 2024 if rates are actually going to start going down. So the reason that I've been in a lot of cash, and I'm not saying I'm in a lot of cash for now, like I raised and everybody has been listening to the show for a while. I sold the majority of my stocks back in late 2022 when it was overdone and the yep. Fed told us that rates were going to. So I'm using dips to slowly start to rebuild here. So, you know, and it's been a mistake of mine to obviously have as much cash as I have. But it really, when you add it all up, I mean, the S&P is back to where it was when I sold it back in 2022. So right. I, haven't, I, I didn't get a chance to maybe get back in at the very lows on a lot of stuff, but there's still that opportunity that there could be some good times ahead of us. If the Fed, if the Fed is on the market side, I'm kind of bullish for 2024 as well. So people will say, oh, you got so much cash, you must be really bearish. And I'm like, no, I think we could just have a tough maybe week or two early January to get some profit taking in there. And then you yeah. rebuild it up from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. No, and so many people. And that's why it's just that's why it continues to ramp is because so many people, you know, I think we're so many astute investors with firepower are of the same opinion. Like, you know, and I just it was more of a sentiment call in, uh, you know, Q4 22 and Q1 of 23 sentiment call, watching interest rates, watching real interest rates. But then really just the technicals, um, you know, the, the, sh- the ship was sh- so far uh, on, on the sell side that it was such a crowded trade. Um, you know, I mean, we. You know, knock on wood. I'm I'm trying to stay humble. I mean, we got right after got it. it. Shorts into it, and you know, we we you play we both sides of the market. Cooler. You really need Maybe to play both sides of the market. Uh, all right, Todd, we're up against the clock. Todd Gordon, founder of Inside Edge Capital and TradingAnalysis.com, breaking it all down for us as he will in 2024. Thanks a lot, Todd, and we really appreciate you coming on. 
Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Have a great 24, okay? Okay. Our next guest is coming courtesy of Wedbush Securities. That's Sahak Manwellian, Managing Director and Head of Equity Trading at Wedbush Securities. Let's bring on Sahak. All right. I think she. I think they might be having a little bit of some camera issues here. Uh, just give it a second here. Let me work with them in the background here, Joel. Okay. All right, Dennis. Uh, we got a little bit of a, a creeper rally going here. Yeah, and let's just sum up. You know, Todd's making some fantastic points here. It gives us a chance to sum it up just a little bit here. I think you know we everybody's been citing all year. I've heard the same thing: the money market funds, the money market funds, and it continues to go up. That money market money will come back into this market. If rates drop, if rates stay up here, the money market money isn't coming back because we're considering everybody's really got this opinion that everybody flew out of growth and they put it all in money market funds. They're all hiding on the sidelines. They're all going to get left in the dust. I really think a lot of this money market funds is money that wasn't in growth to begin with. I don't think it came out of growth. You know why I don't think it came out of growth? Because growth is at all time highs. So if it all came out of growth, why has growth been the driver? It doesn't make any sense. This money didn't come out of growth to go into money market funds. This money came out of other dividend value type trades to go into money market funds, which is why value has underperformed all year. But if rates are going to start to drop, it's actually the value catch-up trade that makes more sense than chasing growth. So that is what I'm saying for 2024 is more the value catch-up trade, even though I'm long NVIDIA and long AMD and long some stuff. It's that value stuff that I've been slowly buying here right now because that's where the money will go back into. It's probably never going to chase some of that money market funds that have come up. Some of that's never going to chase the growth stuff because the growth stuff has already had, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20% you're going after there. But when you're sitting in a, you know, a preferred stock for a 5% dividend and the money market fund is 5%, why am I sitting in a preferred stock? So that kind of comes out. So I sold all my preferred stock. But I'm slowly starting to move it back in. I think that's where that money goes. So if we really think rates are going down in 2024, I think it's value that benefits more than growth. Um, boy, said a lot of different things. I mean, if you look at though, it's it's like some of the growth that you know that it, that has come back. I mean, if it's not, I mean, very selective. I mean, you look at no, uh, that's not you know, true. October. So sorry, I'm interrupting you because it's completely not true. In October. When we, you know, started going up and then the Powell, obviously the Powell, I'm calling him when he pivoted two weeks ago, it has been a nonstop bid in all growth, nonstop bid in ARKK. We need to forget about in October, we are in a different situation. It looked a lot of people were very bearish. A lot of people, including ourselves, like we were very skeptical, although we thought it got overdone, which was why we thought we were going to get a bounce. We thought interest rates were going to stay up for a while here. We didn't know what's happening with the economy. Inflation, you know, it appears to be beaten. But in the last two to three, four weeks, since Powell has pivoted, it has been a relentless Kathy bid rally here. It hasn't been a relentless Microsoft rally in the ARKK or in the last two weeks. So what day, what actual day was the pivot? You know, two weeks ago? I'm guessing. You know, time flies when you're old like me. Um, that was, was on a Wednesday. Ago? Yeah. Yep. Just Wednesday of last week? It's only been a week? No, 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 no. No, it's when we, uh, it's when we gapped up here back in November. Wasn't it? Yeah. The, well, yeah. I don't think it was that long ago. I think it was December. I, th I think it was just 10, like seven or eight days ago. But in any regard here, the money has been flying back into all growth and not so much. NVIDIA has lagged in the last 10 days. Microsoft has lagged in the last 10 days. 
Apple has lagged in the last 10 days. Apple might even be down in the last 10 days. It's the small stuff like Unity that they cannot stop buying. So I think that money is now flying in in anticipation that, hey, you know, there, there's this little stuff here that's obviously, you know, in, more interest rate sensitive than some of the big caps. But my point being is money has been hiding in the big Magnificent Seven. It's been hiding there, plus Netflix, call it the Magnificent Eight. You know, it's been hiding there, hiding there, hiding there because, you know, the uncertainty, that wins no matter what. But money has actually been moving from those stocks, which is why they're, you know, not really participating in the last 10 days, to these other stocks. And I also think, end of the year, I think, you know, we go into January, maybe that gets even more pronounced. Maybe some of these other trades really do start to continue to catch up. And maybe some of that money comes out of the Magnificent Seven as there's some profit taking come. So lots can, lots to consider here. Is our guest ready? Maybe not. All right. I'm going to try to bring them on here. It looks like we're having some kind of camera issues. Uh, let's got, go I've got audio. That's fine. Let's see if we audio. can, let's see if we can at least communicate here. Ah, you just see a spinning wheel of death. <laughs> oh, I hate that when I get the spinning wheel of death. That's the we're worst in, wheel. We're in this age where that's what uh, happens to me. I like my streaming. You're trying handle. to stream right in the good spot. And then you're going to get the spinning wheel of death. Horrible. In this day and age, we can't handle the spinning wheel of death. So no. uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get this set up here, guys. Sorry yeah. about we're having some issues. It's uh, uh, it's better than the uh, blue screen of death, right? When you you, you turn on yeah, the computer and you get all those uh, get all those small things. Uh, all right. Well, what uh, meant uh, Sahak was going to talk about a little bit, you know, was the you know the dollar. We should talk about that. He'll be on here hopefully in just a second. I mean, there's a lot, you know, the dollar, the dollar's been weak in 2023. And if that trend continues, there's, you know, a lot of comp different companies that are going to get a benefit from a weak dollar. And, um, you know, and the dollar is, so is weak. I mean, people continue to look at the dollar. You know why the dollar has weakened? Because the stocks have strengthened. It's always, a, if the, if the S&P is up 500 points, the dollar's down. It's always that way. It's not the dollar driving the bus, so it's just money coming out of dollars chasing into the equities, you know, coming out of treasuries, moving in and, and going that way. That inverse relationship has been there for decades, you know, like it's there. So, you know, chicken and egg, what comes first? I mean, we just know, I know exactly when, you know, the S&Ps ripping higher, the U.S. dollar is going to be down. But it's not always the dollar driving the bus. It's actually equities that drive the bus there. Dollar traders, currency traders will absolutely hate me for that. But that's the <laughs> truth. You get all of a sudden a blast off in equities because, you know, we've got some good news. It isn't, you know, the dollar that's, oh, yeah, but the dollar was down. That was the whole cause for everything. They'll say, you know, the currency traders say, it's the dollar is the cause, for, the cause of it all. And that's just not true. The equities usually drive the bus there. And it drives, the, when the equities are going higher, it drives the dollar down. Uh, I just wanted to talk. Uh, they get to get in specifics uh, with Todd and uh, uh, the IWM, uh, but just uh, I mean, we've been. I've had this fifty percent. There's some lines that you know you keep on the chart, you know, for a long time, and you know, I had this monthly support here at the one sixty two, one sixty three area. It seemed like we were never ever going to get away from it, and now here we're back at the fifty percent retracement of the whole move here. We're actually trading at uh, trading above that right now. So I mean that you know the set. I mean if, if the catch up trade is there, I mean you have definitely had have a long way to go. Look at the all time high and the IWM comes in at uh, yeah. two forty, 
And, uh, you know, and, you know, the other thing, too, I mean, if you looked at these unloved sectors, you look at what's been going on in the the biotech sector as well with uh, the mergers and acquisitions, even, you know, with rates at uh, at uh, at the, you know, where they're at, people are still willing to do the deals if they have the cash. So there's a lot of different catalysts that uh, that come for the uh, for the IWM and, you know, the small banks are are perking up, too. Well, write this down, folks. Write, write this down because these are your correlations here. When you're concerned about interest rates, the stuff that gets beat up, obviously talk to XLP, XLU, nothing gets beat up more than the XBI. When rates are flying high and we're talking like Rick Santelli at the October bottom, 14%, everybody's panicking in the streets. None of these small biotechs can get financing at those high rates. If we were to get to 12 14%, none of them get financing, they all go bankrupt. So rates is what drives XBI at that point in time. When rates are low, nobody cares. You know, we're 1%, 2%, it's all low. So they get 6 7 8%, you know, and we're not talking, you know, these some of these small biotechs aren't borrowing at prime. It's going to be above prime. They start getting 6 7 8%. That's a serious, you know, impact. And some of these companies cannot get financing to fund their trials. So that is why the XBI has this perfect relationship with the TLT, which is inversely correlated with rates. If you put the XBI and the TLT on a chart together, I bet you in the last six months, this a 98% correlation. It is so correlated. You can clearly see these charts look virtually identical on the 90-day. And that relationship holds. Now, that will eventually, as rates start to come in a little bit, that relationship will break down because that's not a long-term forever relationship. That's a relationship when you're concerned about interest rates. In 2024, as rates start to come down, we may not be as concerned about interest rates, but there has been this run in the IWM, this run in the XBI, even in the IBB, because a lot of pharmaceutical companies have a lot of debt and they're going to have to borrow at higher rates. They're not all Apple that were geniuses to borrow at 1%. So, I mean, you look at that and you think, okay, if rates are really going down, it actually may not be the growth stocks that you want to be in for 2024. And by the growth stocks, I mean the Magnificent Seven. It may actually be the catch-up trade, the IWM, the IBBs, the XBI. But we've run already, too. So it's a difficult call here because the IWM, it's not like it's sitting on the lows that it was back in October. It has run up significantly here. So do we need a breather? That could happen here, too. It's a tricky setup now for 2024. If we were sitting on the lows... I'd be it'd be a slam dunk to start just loading up IWM here right now, but we're not anymore. We've run, so now I almost need like a check back or something because nothing goes straight up usually in a straight line. XBI sixty five dollars six weeks ago, now eighty nine dollars, ninety dollars here this morning. I mean, these are big moves here, so it's a tricky setup in twenty twenty four. That's why you know we're bringing on some experts to give their opinion as well. I'm not sure if Sahak Scott. Um, his uh, internet. No, we're gonna that. Dennis. We're we're actually gonna go to uh, Mee Schneider right now, and Bring in uh, yeah, she's been doing her homework. Mee Schneider, founder of Market Gauge, uh, joining us a little bit early. All right, let's bring her on here, and she's getting ready. So I'll give her a second. I'll just play. Ah, there we are. Good morning. I caught you off guard. Hi, Mish. How you doing today? I'm doing great. I hope you don't hear what's behind me. My entire building is, has a fire alarm going off. Oh, my I'm, gosh. Oh, Get out, Mish. You're going to burn down. Get out of there right now. It, the truth is is that it knows how hot Miss Schneider has been. So that's what it is. It's just oh, that's good. setting that's good. the that's alarm good. there, man. Oh, and 
yeah. I, I hear the alarm also at my house. That's how good it is, you know. <laughs> so Mish the drill. Yeah, yeah I hope you have so me too. scared now, Mish. I'm scared for you. That's that's dedication. Well, that is. She loves pre market prep so much. She she won't even leave for the fire alarm. Well, what about when there were fire drills at the bright office? And uh, and we would be like, uh, uh, well, and then they would come and like, you guys got to get out of here. And we're like, yeah, I had to leave to all the us away from the screen. Got like a hundred day trades on. I'm like, oh great, this is have this. Uh, let Let's start with uh, 23. I mean, you want to talk about one of the hardest perky, uh, working people on Wall Street here? I think she makes uh, Ryan Dietrich uh, have someone to look up to. Uh, but you put out um, an extensive report uh, for 23. Um, just just put a uh, you know how'd you do? Put a put a quick bow on it. Well, what was interesting was this was the year really to be a technical analyst. And because we have quant models, uh, essentially they all got long in, in April and caught that big move in the growth stocks, which many people missed. And then from a discretionary standpoint, you know, I really kind of just sort of searched and stuck to guns with certain things. I mean, it wasn't like every trade was a winning trade. There were a couple of stocks that disappointed. Um, but but for the most part, I really stuck to what the plan was for me personally was to stick with Coinbase. I think the last time I was on, we talked about Coinbase when it was trading at like 7580. And now it's up you know, close to 180. And that kind of made my year. So, um, you know, I, I, I've really kind of for this year. I didn't over trade. I let the quants do their thing. And uh, and here we are now. I'm trying to plan for what I think for 2024. So um, Modern Family has been, you know, really to me, always been my guide. All right. Talk about the Santa Claus rally so far. Santa, uh, we had quite the lead up and uh, it's continuing. How much more legs does it have? S&P all time highs and striking distance. So we're going to get there. Well, it's possible. I think the average Santa rally is about 3.7%. We've already had a couple of percent up since there. So we may have some more. I mean, right now, the market is, it started out when I woke up early this morning, it was red, now it's green. So it seems to me like the momentum and the amount of money that's pouring in now and possibly can continue in 2024 is showing the signs that this market wants to go higher. And you can't argue with it. I mean, I, I read people like Harry Dent. I don't know. Have you seen his prediction? Oh, no, <laughs> Harry's a perma, perma bear. There's not a lot of perma bears. He on is. Paper, but he I mean, he's not just going bearish. He's going like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's going like 86% decline in 2020. Like he's in a bunker. He's in a bunker right now. That's what like you're talking about. Asteroid hits the earth. And, you know, yeah, he's wearing tinfoil. He has a tinfoil hat on right now. Right. So, I mean, apart from the Harry Dent camp, I mean, you look at somebody like Ed Yardani and he thinks we're going up to like 5,200. So I think you have to really enter this year, obviously more friendly than not, but, you know, this is, you know, and I know you read the report. So this is coming up the year of the dragon, right? So I love to talk about this stuff because it's such a great metaphor and it makes a lot of sense. Last year was the year of the rabbit. And that, and the year was so much like a rabbit. If you stayed back, yeah, right. If you stayed back with the hounds, you, you lost out on the rally. If you ran with the rabbit, you did really well. 
And now we're going into the year of the dragon. And what's interesting is when you say dragon, people go, oh, my God, that's mm. a prosperous thing. You know, everybody loves dragons. But the truth of the matter is that dragons, and, and this is a direct quote from Raymond Lowe, who is one of my gurus in terms of really understanding the whole idea of the Chinese astrology. And I always say, you know, two and a half billion people can't be wrong. Um, that the dragon can be the gate of heaven or the gate of hell. And I think that's kind of going to be a good theme as we go into 2024 is that you have to really look at the signs. And if, you know, we're seeing all this money coming in and we're seeing things like the Russell 2000 and the retail sector and the transportation sector continuing to hold, and even the regional banks will be a key here as well then, you know, we're in that gate of heaven. But if those things start to turn, regardless of what's going on, or any of the tinderboxes that we see in the world with geopolitics, I mean, people have discounted all of this, or the debt cycle comes back to haunt, or any, I mean, we're in an election year, which is typically very bullish, but the two years that weren't were in the dot-com bubble. And in 2008, we have any of those kind of watershed negative activities, then we could be entering the gate of hell, or we could be going back and forth. I'm not quite so sure we're going to have this straight up type of market. Well, seeing how I'm going to have twins this year, that's not too bad because the year of the dragon brings extra blessings and good fortune. But one of the things that we're definitely seeing is this exuberance in the market, I'll call it. And it seems like the greed has really gotten to a whole nother level, right? And if I think about the consumer, because we were talking about this just two or three months ago that we could see the consumer slow down into the next year. And then I see stats like that, you know, more than one third of consumers went into debt this holiday season. Things like this are what really scare me when everyone's getting so optimistic. What do you feel is going to happen here? Is something going to break or could we just continue with this optimism? Well, you know, the, what's so interesting about the people in this country, consumers in this country, is that we really don't allow a lot of bad news to last too long in terms of our spending habits. And in fact, we've had the last several months of sort of, let's just go out and spend money anyway. I mean, some people are calling it um, uh, revenge spending. I was calling it YOLO, you know, this sort of like, you only live once, let's just go out, who cares what's happening? There is actually more money. If you look at, you mentioned Ryan Dietrich, he actually put out that there's actually more money in people's pockets than one would think. It depends on where you look. I think that the spending habits will change into 2024. And I think what's gonna happen is people are like, okay, we got through that. Markets on all-time highs. You know, I still have my money basically safe right now because there's still a lot of money in, um, in in bonds and things that are giving yields and that are relatively safe. And I think we're going to see the consumer go from I'm going to spend on travel and dining out and my family to more I'm going to spend it on myself. I think we're going to go into like a vanity year with people. And that's why we're watching a lot of areas that have to do with fashion and beauty and skincare, weight loss drugs, you know, all of a sudden everybody wants to get fitter um, in going into 2024. So I think this is a thing that we can continue to see. So we may not see the great rise still in airlines and, and, and in restaurants and in some of the leisure like we saw, but I'm looking more for, you know what, I'm going to take care of myself this year and what stocks are going to be impacted in that. 
that are what about commodities uh you know did uh that's one thing that could upset the fed's plan right we've seen the some of the commodities come in some have stayed at elevated levels uh what's your outlook for the commodity in the first half of the year in the second half of the year and why well, in the first half of the year, I'm really focused on gold and silver. And silver has really been underperforming gold. And I think that could make a comeback. In fact, I just read that aluminum is at an eight-month high. So these industrial metals are starting to look pretty good. But really, it's the gold that has been telling us, I mean, considering where gold is right now, that regardless of what's going on, people are looking at gold as a safety play. And I think that that can continue. In the second half of the year, I mean, this is the super cycle, right? That people say, oh, Mish, how can you be talking about a super cycle? Look what's happened in commodities. Look what's happened in inflation. It's come down so much. We're going into disinflation, et cetera. And I think that with all this talk of the Fed, I mean, my God, I've seen everywhere from three to six or eight times that they're planning to cut because of issues that they're seeing with the slowdown of the economy, even though we're not seeing it in the stock market, that could be where the super cycle comes into effect. And what's really interesting, and I know I sent this chart with my report, is if you overlay the CPI from 1966 to 1982 to what's happened in the last 20 years here now, it's almost a complete utter mirror image in that in 1975, when the rates peaked, just like they did here in 2022, we had this big dive down uh, to CPI went from like, I don't know, like it was like 10% down to uh, about 2%, just like we saw here in 2022. Now down as we're entering 2024, we've gone up from eight or 9% down closer to the 3%. And then in 77, things started to come back hugely. Um, and so if we look at that point, what happened? The dollar went down. The Fed got more accommodative. Um, you know, money started pouring into the market, thinking recession was over. And then all of a sudden, geopolitics took control. And I and I think that that and also weather. We're having some people are talking about shortages, not just in rice, which is global, but even I've heard now that there's going to be concerns about some of the grains here in this country. So I think second half could be more. The super cycle comes back when it comes to some of the food commodities in particular. All right, Mish, I, I, I hope you don't upset too many people here, but what do you think about the EV market? Yeah, well, right. I, I think that's the one place I may not want to be in 2024. Now, listen, long term, you know, we're definitely going towards an EV type of market. But I think what happened in this year is that people got too overzealous about infrastructure being able to support EV cars. I mean, yes, you charge at home, but as soon as you get on the road, you have an issue. There's a glut of EVs. Used EVs are not selling. Um, we get the shiny penny rallies like we saw in NEO uh, launching yeah. a new uh, SUV. You know, Tesla, obviously, uh, is, people are very, very bullish. But I actually would avoid the EV space and I'm not necessarily thinking Tesla is going to go much up past 260. And I think it's got more room to the downside than the upside at this mm -hmm. point. I think that this will not be the year where people will go out and buy EVs. I think they're going to step back and wait and see what happens with infrastructure and how realistic. We have a power out. You can't get your car charged. You can't go anywhere. And we saw that happen this year with hmm. 
platforms. So that's why that's not the area I want to invest in. I think they're just too expensive too. I mean, Ford has figured out like, we've got trouble here. We put out this truck. It's a really cool truck, the Lightning, and this ticket price is just way too high. They've tried to drop the price and drop the price. And they're trying to figure out how to do this profit. I mean, Tesla's figured it out. But I mean, these are not cheap vehicles. And, you know, despite the economy humming along, it's really been like the apples. And, you know, obviously I've been talking smaller ticket stuff that's really hummed this economy along. I just don't think there's a lot of people that can afford, you know, an eighty-five or ninety thousand dollar truck, you know, and they're cool. And I mean, you know, they're like, you know, I've, I've seen the Lightning and the Rivians are awesome too, but it's expensive. And I mean, interest rates. We can talk about interest rates going lower, and maybe they do eventually afford those. But interest rates at this moment in time are still very high. You know, I got a buddy trying to find out, and he's trying just to finance a car here, and he's like, the financing rates are seven and a half, eight percent here right now. I mean, that is not the you know and even if they go down to seven or six and a half it's still not that easy for people to just get financing on a hundred thousand dollar vehicle absolutely i think that's what i'm saying i think there'll be a wait and see like i'm not going to buy an ev in 2024 let me see what happens in 2025 if rates come down if the infrastructure improves um but right now that to me is not where i would think just like you're saying with your friend with interest rates being so high to put money i mean even with the housing market is kind of so aberrant too right so you still have high interest rates but you have housing prices go up but yet home sales going down so there are a lot of these areas that's why i'm saying i think people are just going to say the heck with all of that buying homes buying cars let me just like focus on myself i want to look better i want to feel better and in this year, that's really where I'm going to put my money. Well, that's a great segue into a couple stocks that you like, uh, Cody and Elf. And this Elf has just been a beast. So uh, talk to us about those two stocks. Well, Cody is something that, you know, it's only trading about twelve and a half dollars um, And so I think that's got a lot of upside. That could definitely wind up being closer to a $20 stock. Um, yeah, Elf has made a big move. I probably, I mean, listen, we know that certain things can go totally parabolic. Um, I'm more focused on Cody than Elf. I'm also, you know, watching stocks like Estee Lauder, although that's a higher level brand. Um, you know, obviously we've seen um, great returns in, in some of the other cosmetic type stocks. Um, I like that. I like Ralph Lauren. Um I like, you know, some of the other type of fashion stocks that we've been looking at. But, you know, it, it, at this point now, I just really I also really like, by the way, the, the some of the medical cannabis space. That's another area we've been mm. looking at to just move away from that for a moment. Abvi mm. is, is one of my top picks for 2024, uh, ABBV. And the reason yeah. why is because they are actually using more and more cannabis in terms of their medical research. And what that tells me, and we had a big rally in cannabis yesterday in general, but I think if the big farmer starts looking more towards that area, that's going to put a lot of lobbying pressure on federal regulation to ease up on cannabis. And uh, and that stock looks particularly ripe. It's trading at around 150. I'm looking at around 144 as a good buy opportunity. And we can really get through this 155, 160. I see no reason why that stock can't fly. And there's a couple of others in that space to keep an eye on. Altria would be another one, MO. Um, believe it or not, even Molson uh, is also getting into recreational beverages with cannabis. 
I just feel like this is part of the feel good the theme that I'm looking <laughs> at. <laughs> so it's not just makeup and weight loss and fashion, yeah. but also like, you know, hey, how can I feel better too? Yeah, well, Zempic plays into that, right? And uh, this whole kind of move, right? I think that we're all trying to better ourselves and consider more mental health. And I think that this all kind of weighs in to what we're seeing. And we're even seeing developments in the psychedelics market and, and things like that, right? I think that you're definitely seeing a move towards that. So I like the vanity year mention. Gonna have to put that in quotations there. Uh, definitely keep your eyes on that. And uh, there's a lot of these stocks that have been hot. Now, one stock that I've thought about, and it's been kind of a laggard, um, but I'm looking for technology stocks that just maybe haven't gone. What about Roku? Yeah, well, Roku, you know, by the way, one of the things about um, this year is that 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 the whole idea of entertainment that's another thing you know streaming and entertainment roku would be one of those that also could look pretty hot I'm, i keep an eye on it and that's another one that's been very volatile but you know i think the, the the theme is is no matter what i'm talking about even though i think we can see obviously any of these stocks outperform and i, I just want to quickly put up a chart of roku here so that i'm looking at it with i can uh, yeah, can there's you a couple that? other media stocks that you like too. Why don't you give us those as well? Yeah, Live Nation would be another one. Mm. Uh, I've been watching that stock forever. Um, it hasn't really done that much. Oh, here's Roku. If you look at Roku on a daily chart, I mean, obviously it looks good, but if you look at it right now on a weekly chart, it's been basing since 2022. So we get through like 110 in that stock. That might be something really worthwhile. Um, I, and then the other one would be, and I see that a lot of these Streaming stocks now are starting to do merger deals, you know, what they call bundling. I think bundling could be a theme. You know, Live Nation's another one. It hasn't really been able yeah. to get through 95 to 100. Uh, that would be another area. So these are these are stocks that have I wouldn't necessarily be buying right here, but I'm waiting for, particularly if the market stays hot, for these to be really good catch-up stocks. Again, all in the idea of vanity, feel good you know, going on with this, uh, you only live once attitude, but with more of a shift into the individual. Got to ask you about a couple more here. And uh, Triple D wants the Triple D symbol. And uh. I guess you don't, I don't you don't think it's going away anytime soon here. You mentioned it before. What do you like about 3D systems? Yeah, and I think last time we were on, we talked about the fact that the intellectual property of 3D systems is tremendous. It was the original 3D printing stock. Yeah. And so they have IP and they have been swirling around with a takeover um, stratasys. They've been talking with all these different deals. Um, you know, desktop metal would be, they're all involved. And I, I, I sniff something coming up in terms of them being bought, bought out by, I'm not sure who, or maybe they collaborate or merge or what have you. But 3D systems, I read the CEO started buying the stock at four and a half dollars. So we started buying the stock at four and a half dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, right? I mean, it was like, really, could it get much cheaper? And now the news has come out that they're looking at $18 a share. Last year was $24 a share in terms of a buyout. They rejected that. Rumor is they may reject the $18 a share, but why do they keep rejecting these higher prices? Obviously, 
they know something. And so I'm going with it. It's trading at what, seven and a quarter uh, as of yesterday. I mean, I'll probably take some profit. I don't buy and hold. That's not our thing. We are very much active traders. We get certain parameters. We take money off. We raise our stops. Um, so I'm looking right now close to a 200-day moving average resistance, which means I'll probably take some off and then raise my stop. But yeah, I like that. It's through eight. I don't see any reason why. I mean, it, it can continue to go up to maybe 15 or even 20. And, okay. and a lot of times what we see in 2024 in the first week of January is a laggard effect. I've been talking about that on the show. And this stock has been a major laggard for a very long time. So I think it sets up well into January here. If you think some money might come into some laggards here and obviously, you know, um, movement, you know, maybe from some of the leaders, if we get some profit taking there, maybe this is a stock that benefits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, would it be my top pick? No, but I think it's certainly a fun stock that could. And, and like I said, there's there's definitely a lot of chatter going on uh, with that company and what I'm reading in, in terms of takeovers. And of course, like I said, the, the CEO himself went out and bought a whole lot of stock. You got it. All right, Misha, put up put a wrap on it for us for uh, for 2000 or you know for 2024. Where are you expecting? We're talking to you for a year a year from now, an election year, seasonality. Put a wrap on it. Well, I think that in terms of the small caps, uh, again, you know, like you're talking about the laggard effect. Well, obviously, we've seen this incredible rally right here in small caps. And I think that in an election year, I mean, statistically, every year has been great, except for the two that I mentioned, that we probably, though it won't be in the growth stocks, I think that we'll continue to see more rotation into the small cap area, into the areas I just mentioned in retail. But I do believe that we have to keep our eye out for everything switching. I wouldn't necessarily dismiss some of the perma bears because we could have a credit event. We could have a major situation geopolitically. Things are not dying down. Uh, in which case, by the middle of the year, if we can hold 4,600 in the SPY, to me, that would be a signal that we could see a much major correction. So as long as we're over 4,600, and as long as we're over about 2,000 in the Russells, we're good. We break those levels, I would start to get very nervous. All right. Me Schneider, Market Gage, joining us here on Pre-Market Prep. Great information. We'll talk to you again soon. Happy New Year, you guys. Okay. All right. We're going to uh, talk markets here for a second. Dennis, uh, unchanged here at 48 and a quarter. Uh, any anything going on out there on this uh, this um, Wednesday? It's mixed, so we got a very mixed market here this morning. Very quiet market here this morning. There's a few sell imbalances, a few buy imbalances. The gap uh -huh. again. GPS had a buy imbalance yesterday. It has a buy imbalance again today. I always like to see those patterns because when you start identifying that, sometimes there's this an institution that wants to buy every single morning. So I would write that one down, actually, my day trading thing, because you never know. There may be a buy and balance there again tomorrow. So GPS trading up here was trading up yesterday. It gives it back. And it's not saying that you need to be long this for a swing, but sometimes you're long it overnight and flip it out at the open. You're winning here again on that one. So two days in a row is a trend for me. And I just noticed it. It could have been more than that. So 228,000 shares to buy in GPS this morning is popping that stuff stuff up there's not a lot of individual stories costco is ex-dividend here today they did pay that 15 dollars special dividend so don't get all scared that your costco is getting killed here this morning is not the adjusted price is 659.62 and the stock is actually trading up four dollars wow. here this morning on the x on uh, on the uh, special dividend so those who held this overnight 
are getting the $15, and they're getting an extra four, but $3.93 here right now if they sell it here uh, today. The other wow. one ex dividend is CME. Um, it's adjusted close. It's two hundred nine fifty-five. It paid a five dollar and twenty-five cent dividend. So some big dividends here at the end of the year. What about Costco with a run-up that it had after that, and then uh, to pay the dividend and still be that's just been one heck of a trade, right? Um, stock just been yeah, one heck of a bought stock it forever. I mean, just, all time highs for Costco. That stock's just a monster. And I just want to mention cheap companies. The valuation's never been really cheap. But I guess, you know, a few times it's been down in the low 30s, the PE. You got to just, that's reasonable enough for Costco. And you've been buying dips in Costco you're, for the last 10 years. You've been doing really, really well. GPS had that insider sell not too long ago. Knocked it down, but it's still coming back here. Uh, that $22 area, I mean, that's big. You bust above 22 here. And uh, Gap, it looks like uh, you got another move higher. So uh, let's move on to our next guest, and that's Cameron Dawson. She's CIO over at New Edge Wealth. We'll bring Cameron in this morning. And hey, Cameron, how you doing? Hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, we're just, uh, you know, enjoying the Santa Claus rally here. And uh, I just, I want to ask you, I you like to lead all your newsletters off with uh, with some kind of musical note right mm-hmm. and uh you're, you're pretty good you're spot on with it so i'm gonna give you a tough one uh what are you gonna be singing what's the music uh, gonna be at the end of 2024 are we gonna be whistling dixie or uh <laughs> <laughs> we- well th- this week's theme was tools invincible um uh which is the the lead off line in it is long in tooth and soul and hoping for another win and the reason that I chose the song was because wanting to really take a look at positioning and sentiment, because I think that's one of the most important lessons from the last couple of years is just how these swings in positioning and sentiment have been so very important, uh, important drivers for the broad market. So you start 2022 with positioning very stretched, sentiment very stretched. We are invincible. Nothing's going to stop this rally. Look at all the support that we have. Tech is is undying. And of course, the exact opposite happened. We had a really tough 22 and tech underperformed. Then the exact opposite happened in 23. We start the year. Everybody's underweight. Positioning is blown out. People are expecting a recession. You can't invest in tech because real yields are still, still continuing to go up. And then result is tech blows everybody out of the water and the market has a great year. And so in 2024, with this idea of that the market loves pain trades, the question that we're continuing to ask is where are we stretched on sentiment? Where are we stretched on positioning? And what would be the most painful thing for the market to have to endure in 24 from a rotation standpoint? The conclusion from there is that sentiment is very stretched. It has a room to get more extreme, um, a little bit more extreme, but it's not a great timing tool. So what you can observe is that things like AAII are at their highest levels since for the bull reading is since mid 21, but that doesn't have a great predictive power over the next three to six months um, necessarily. And so you can see it persist for at least a short period of time. 
put call ratio probably has a little bit more room to get even more complacent back to those 2021 lows. But we're in the territory of extreme greed for things like CNN fear and greed index. So that should be on the back of everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. Positioning the yep. other one probably has a little bit more room to run as well as far as getting people drawn in. You can look at different measures of positioning from institutional to retail investors. And what you can see is that we are overweight, but we're not quite to the extremes that we had back in times like into 21, beginning of 22. So it seems like the pain trade on positioning is still draw people in. But once you get that combo of, of sentiment and positioning both being really stretched, I think that's where kind of regardless of the fundamental story, you should you kind of have your your ears per perked up because it would mean that we all agree on everything. We're all on the same side of the boat. Yeah. And that's what scares me the most about 2024 is exactly what you're citing is that the crowded trade. And it feels like, you know, back in October, we had a lot of stocks. It was a tale of two markets two months ago where the IWM was sitting near 52-week lows, but Magnificent 7 would not relent and was holding us up and carrying us. And that has reversed here now where actually the Magnificent 7 has not really done much over the last month, but it's the other stocks that are just ramping and going. And the bulls have grabbed us by the horns and saying, hey, look. Now we actually have, you know, breadth in this market. We have participation from all these underperformers and these laggards. And it's like all this put together here is speaking, you know, like it's going to be as fab as 2024. And, and, and interest rates, Powell even on the side, because Powell talking about cutting rates when the markets are sitting up here at all time high. So there's so many people now that are on the bullish train. And I know some people on Twitter saying everybody's bearish. I don't see it. I don't see a lot of bearishness anymore. I see a lot of bullish. And this is what scares me a bit. Like, I want to kind of jump in here, too. If rates are going to start going down, it does feel like it should be good for stocks. Is there a catch-up trade maybe still here? Like, the IWM has run. But could we continue to catch up here? Cameron, I'm lost here. Help me for 2024. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joel, I, 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 I love the, I put together this meme of I'd like to extend an invitation to the pivot party because certainly <laughs> that's where, where we all are living right now is this idea that all of the parts of the market that were being hurt because of the prospect of higher for longer have seen the biggest mean reversion trades over the last couple of months. This idea that in a higher for longer world, those with bad balance sheets are going to have trouble refinancing their debt. Of course, a lot of that was concentrated in the small caps, mostly the Russell 2000 versus the S&P 600, which tends to skew a little bit higher market cap, a little bit higher quality. But Russell 2000 has a much higher percentage of companies that are unprofitable, have floating rate debt and are high yield borrowers for the fixed rate debt that they have, which just means that refinancing was going to be a problem. So if all of a sudden you go from, hey, the Fed is saying higher for longer, we're going to keep rates elevated to now where, you know, you, Dennis, you mentioned that that rates, you know, could go lower. I would argue that they've already corrected a great deal, a great amount in just the past couple of months, you know, two year down 75 basis points. I agree, you know, very short end of the money market rates, for example, have not come down because they are set by, you know, that, that, that base rate from the Fed. So you haven't seen the true reset of rates, anything out beyond, you know, the three month time period uh, is where you're all, you're seeing the, 
downward pressure on rates. But what matters or what used to matter for valuations, things like 10-year yields, real yields, um, and even two-year yields uh, have already priced in a great deal of expected cutting. And I think that the question for us in 24, there's two main questions. The first one is, you know, what would have to happen for the market to be right that the, the Fed actually delivers the six and a half interest rate cuts that are priced in? You know, what is the economic backdrop and scenario that that is a reality? And then the next question is, if that is a reality, does the market care? If it if it doesn't happen and we see those cuts priced out and interest rates move back up, will the market have, have an issue with it? In 2023, arguably it didn't. We started the year expecting a four and a half percent Fed funds rate based on the work function in 2020 at end of 2023. We end closer to five and a half percent in a Fed's funds rate. So that's a hundred basis point delta of higher rates. And the market in in maybe years past might have put a downward pressure on valuation multiples given that backdrop, but anything but that happened. S&P multiples up 20% this year. NASDAQ multiples up over 35% this year. So the relationship that you had with interest rates and valuations completely broke down in 2023 in the benefit of equities. So it's a question of if we see some of these cuts priced out in 24, will equities care? Um, I never like to make this time as different kind of argument. So I think it's something to, to watch closely. Cameron, one thing uh, you know that we look at in in 2021 when we got got head over heels in the market and the meme stocks and everything was the uh, Finra margin loan loan balance mm -hmm. compared to the S and P 500. Uh, we'll bring up that graphic here. It certainly doesn't look like it did in uh, 2007 mm -hmm. and 2008. But uh, uh, go over this with this graph with us and tell them possible implications. Yeah, I'm watching margin loans is a great way to gauge risk appetite for investors. When you think that you can juice your returns by taking on uh, margin debt, it uh, typically means that you have a pretty optimistic outlook about the future. And we certainly saw that in 2020 and 2021. Margin loans went absolutely berserk. You saw a huge surge. We almost hit $1 trillion in margin debt in the peak in late 2021. And what's really interesting is that the peak in that margin debt uh, preceded the peak in the equity market by just a couple of months. Now, part of the reason that that was so strong in 20 and 21 is because interest rates were so low. Because you could borrow at near next to nothing, you didn't really have a high bar or high hurdle rate to get over when you were trying to make you know, make money off of borrowing and then investing investing those proceeds from the borrowing. So what we've seen this year is that margin loans have remained rather subdued, even though the equity market is almost back near all-time highs. This could be because of two factors, either A, because interest rates are high and so the borrowing cost is higher. So maybe, Dennis, to your point, is that is if interest rates fall and what you're using as your index rate starts to fall, maybe people return to margin loans. That's another uh, kind of cash on the sidelines dynamic that can be pulled into this market. But the other aspect, and it's a it's a question, is that if a lot of this risk on trading is being replaced by zero date to expiration options activity, meaning options are another way to add leverage to a portfolio that is not captured in this metric. And so you've seen this huge surge in not just zero DTE options, but other short term options and single stock options uh, that have 
absolutely ballooned over the course really since 2020, but have grown a lot in 2023 as well, which just raises the question of maybe people are getting their margin other places. So the signal from this may not be as strong as it was in the past, but I think, Dennis, to your point, lower interest rates may be something that spurs people to get back to margin loans. But you, this is something that tends to, as you can see, it's very correlated to the market. So people reduce debt when when uh, the equity market is down and raise it when it's up in a typical chase trade. So what about let's unemployment? Just, oh, sorry, go, Joel. Go Ask ahead, Dennis. Ask unemployment. We're, we're staying economic, and then we're going to go into stocks. So go. Okay. Um, so, you know, for these uh, causes for rates uh, to uh, to go down in the recession and everything, um, unemployment still holding kind of steady here. When, when do you think to justify these rate cuts in 2024, when do you think we're going to see some changes in this key indicator? Yeah, we're not really seeing any distinct signs yet of an imminent deterioration in the employment market. It's been something that's continued to may, remain very resilient. I think an important observation from 2023 is that, yes, we did see an uptick in the unemployment rate, but that didn't come because demand was weaker. It came because labor supply increased a lot more than expected. So labor supply went up a lot in 23 because of the normalization of immigration flows. That's a very benign and actually very happy outcome for the Fed and for markets, because what you had is that increase in labor supply took a little bit of heat, a little pressure off of wage growth. Wage growth decelerated. You also had the benefit of lower income people entering into the labor market. A lot of from that, from the immigration. So what you saw as well is things like productivity got boosted because you were growing a lot in a quarter like the third quarter, but you were seeing an increase in lower income wage growth, which increased your productivity statistics, which essentially said you're doing more with less. But part of that was because you're just adding lower income workers into the equation. So the question for 2024 is that do you continue to see this very healthy dynamic of an increase in labor supply with no decrease in labor demand? And what we're seeing is no signs yet of a distinct de uh, deterioration in demand. There are arguments that are around the surface or around the, the edges that you are seeing some deterioration. Things like um, uh, temporary workers, some hours worked kind of around the margins in different areas. But overall, we would argue that this still remains a resilient labor market. And what's interesting is that some of the leading indicators in the labor market are actually pointing to higher wages going forward, not a continued deceleration in wages. This data is highly volatile, so it's way too soon to make the argument that we're going back into a wage acceleration period. But watch the NFIB small business survey indicator about the plans for wage increases. Like I said, it's volatile. It bounces all around, but it it has typically led wage growth by about six months and it's turned back up again. Now it could plunge next month and, hit, and then this whole argument goes away. But if it continues to moderate higher, kind of climb higher, this would be a really good indication that maybe some of these ultra benign uh, golden path kind of dynamics that helped us get a slightly less hot wage market without seeing truly painful higher unemployment, that maybe some of that dynamic changes in 23, where we stay in a tight labor market, wage growth returns, and then what does the Fed do? I mean, this is the question here, and the Fed has always been data dependent, which is why I was surprised 
when Powell basically pivoted without having the data really to say, hey, you know, like they've talked about 2% inflation, 2% inflation. It's not there yet. But then he's coming in saying that we feel like we've done enough here. Um, is the Fed looking at, you know, p- potentially what you're looking at here and actually just saying that maybe we need to stay ahead of the curve here instead of falling behind it now? And the pivot is for the reason some of those that you're citing that maybe there is some weakness here that the economy could be experiencing going into 2024. Why do you think Powell pivoted? I think there's one of three reasons. The first reason could be is that they're looking at soft data, but soft data has been wrong all year. So soft data is your sentiment, your survey data. So think of comparing something like a PMI, which is asking you how you're feeling about your business to industrial production. What did you actually make? That's hard data. Soft data is PMIs. Similar things, retail sales, hard data, consumer sentiment, soft data. Soft data has been weak really since 2022, uh, even arguably since mid-2021. And hard data yet has held up. So if you look at the leading economic indicators, they've had one of their longest streaks of being negative since the great financial crisis. Part of that is because if you go down the list, it's all the soft data that's weak, but the hard data is holding up. So maybe the Fed is looking at soft data and going, ooh, we're really concerned that maybe something is going to be brewing. So that's the, you know, they, you know, that they're maybe looking at the wrong data. The other one is that they're seeing something that we're not seeing. Maybe that they have insight into data that we don't see yet and they're seeing more weakness. That could be reason number two. Reason number three is that, uh, and this is maybe the less popular one that probably we should discuss though, is the interplay with the treasury and how much pressure was on the treasury in refinancing debt. The fact that they have uh, increased the bill issuance so much uh, in order to keep liquidity strong, in order to keep that coupon debt lower. The fact that you were seeing interest rates or interest expense start to climb and be protected, projected to hit a trillion dollars in a short period of time. The fact that it was going to be larger than the defense budget. Um, I know we like to think of the Fed and the treasury is completely separate entities and they will argue, um, of course, that they, of course, are completely separate entities. uh, But it's really hard to, as you said, Dennis, to make the argument that based on the data that you can actually confirm the weakness that of what Powell is is saying that that justifies this kind of cutting of rates. Of course, they're talking about it from a deceleration in in inflation and a a look at real rates. But that's a very narrow look at things like financial conditions, which are now at their easiest level, easier than when they started hiking rates. So there could be some interplay here in the fact that lower interest rates take a lot of pressure off the treasury uh, when they're having to refinance what is going to be a big, huge wave of refinancing in 2024 for them. And it reduces the interest rate bill. And maybe there is some relation to why pivot, why now with this data. Um, And that interplay is something that will probably never be acknowledged, but something that is shouldn't be lost on any of us. Okay, Cameron. So putting your app on uh, a year from now, is it going to be more like a Jay Giles house party <laughs> or an REO speed wagon ride in the storm out? That's, I mean, go for deep tracks. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, it's a talking heads road to nowhere. Um, you know, where, 
we could we could have this this market where you know we we see this this pull everybody in you know momentum melt up kind of trade kind of like it's early 2018 that we had everybody's you know rushing to get into into the market and then you know, we acknowledge that earnings estimates have actually been cut recently they're not necessarily going up meaning that they're probably well calibrated, you know, assuming no big upside surprise to you know, to efficiency and that type thing uh, from from AI. But valuations are this as of this morning are at 19.8 times forward earnings. That's a very full valuation for the S&P 500. Of course, for the equal weight, not nearly as stretched. So when we see valuations hit those levels, when we see sentiment positioning kind of hit those peaks, what we could have is an environment where maybe we hit a new all-time high, but then we consolidate and digest and consolidate and digest. And over the course of the year, that creates a lot of opportunities for being tactical, for trimming positions, adding to positions. But we could find ourselves you know, in a state where both the bulls and the bears are right, uh, where we get confirmation of both sides in this wonderful road to nowhere. Okay, we have uh, Cameron Dawson, New Edge Wealth, joining us here on Free Market Prep, a frequent guest. Uh, absolutely love your input, and uh, we'll be dialing you up again real soon. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. Thanks, Cameron. Okay, before we go to our next guest here, uh, Dennis, uh, we're leaking. So what it, I'm thinking, yeah. selling balances. Yeah, well, it's a rare day that I can stick with you through the open. The re main reason I can stick here this long through the open is that I did not trade last night. I had 72 people at my house last night for the extended family on uh, my wife's side, thanks, or uh, for Christmas. Um, so I was entertaining and not trading. So I have no positions really going wow. into the open here. So I actually can stick with you here, which is nice. Um, yeah, we're seeing some sell imbalances here. AT&T, 330,000 to sell. Verizon, 175,000 to sell. They have started to leak here as the stock market is about to open in 45 seconds here. Gap still has that buy imbalance here. Um, we're looking at just mixed, very mixed market. Um, just cherry picking a few. Merck, 32,000 to sell, looking to open down. Um, we're looking at Pfizer, actually 42,000 to buy, opposite direction, looking to open up. But it's a red and green all over the place here. The very mixed open here. We're going to get 25 seconds. We are going to open. Mitch is in the background, uh, ready to you know check out this open here as well. What are you seeing? <laughs> I'm over here like, what am I going to trade here in the background? Yeah, uh, yeah. So you're usually you're doing your live trading here right now. So he has to get in this live trading here a little bit. Yeah. The most important thing is that right now is what we're opening into the pre-market low, uh, which is also nice the call, Joel. Which is also uh, a good daily level. So if this is mm -hmm. going to be like your regular script where the bulls step up right away, right here, the pre-market low is uh, 2821. We're just bouncing here. So if you're looking for, you know, lower risk, lower risk long trade off the open, which always, you know, seems Ooh. to be working quite a bit, uh, leaning on that pre-market low. Um, the other thing we'll have to keep uh, pay attention to um, is the close at uh, 28.25. That's been the high close for the move. So we'll let the bulls and the and the bears uh, battle it out between those two levels. Dennis, what the, you mentioned the stock with the sell on balance, which uh, I, I forget right before we um, – when, right when we came back, uh, is that stock? We had a silent balance. Um, I was able to uh, get a short off on it earlier, and it came in and actually opened down 11 cents. So sometimes there's some plays in these imbalances here. But uh, Verizon here um, is open down here too. It's mixed, man. 
Like, I mean, we're 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 leaking a little bit here, but 0.03% on the spy here. So we are as flat as it can be. What we're clearly seeing here so far, just one minute after the open, and obviously, you know, things you know are changing. But we had a couple stocks open a little a couple of the magnificent seven opened a little bit weak. Microsoft opened right on the lows, down a dollar. It has rallied the dollar right back immediately here. Also, Meta was one that um, um, is showing a little bit of strength. It's up $2 here this morning here. Tesla continues to show strength. It wants to try to get over that 360 or, or 260. It looks like it's continuing to try here. Major resistance there for it. But, you know, you can butt your head up against resistance long enough. Eventually, you might break out. Um, NVIDIA here, too, trying here this morning. Just got, you know, a wild range. Obviously, we're already trading three-point range here in the first two minutes. So it's been pretty wild here. But again, I think NVIDIA still has that 500 on the, on the mind. And you've got to think about where we are. If money managers do want a couple of these stocks, maybe they didn't have them on their bucks. They got three days to get them in those portfolios here. So often what you see in the last three days of the year is the strength continues to get bought, meaning the stocks that were strong in 2023 actually get bought. And then sometimes some tax loss selling in the stuff that was weak. But there hasn't been a lot that was weak because we've had such a strong rally here towards the end of the year that I don't know how much tax loss selling we're really going to get. All right, our final guest of the day is Gene Munster, managing partner of Deepwater Asset Management. Who better to talk about tech stocks than Gene Munster? Gene, thanks for coming on this morning. I know we're doing some short-term uh, talking and trading here, but uh, thanks for coming on today. Question right, for Dennis. When you talk about that strength in, at the end of the last few days with those stocks that have been up, do they tend to reverse then? Do they do these? Um, we're at managing yeah. assets at deep water. We don't do the window dressing game, but we know it goes on. Is yeah. the general uh, trajectory that then they, you know, the first two weeks of the yep. next year they sell off? Yeah, that's exactly what usually occurs. You see the leaders become the laggards and the laggards become the leaders for the first week or so. And then it starts separating. And if there's a story there that continues to drive, the AI story is going to drive 2024. That can take effect. But like the January effect that I talk about and some other people talk about a different type is that laggards to leaders and leaders to laggards. Because if you've had weakness, you know, in certain stocks because they've underperformed, then you get the tax loss selling at the end of the year. Come the calendar turn, that is all gone. And sometimes you see people coming and actually buying those stocks. And the opposite occurring is that if you're sitting on a huge gain in NVIDIA um, and you have the window dressing here, maybe money managers coming in to buy here at the end. But if you're sitting on a big gain, you don't want to book that gain three days before the end of the year and have to pay that tax, you know, coming up here. You want to push that tax bill a year from now. So if you just wait the three days, that's when you usually sell. So what often I see happen is that those stocks that have been really strong show weakness the first week of January as some of that selling, the profit taking actually starts to occur. And sometimes you get follow through in 2023. It was a follow through year where the laggards just continued to lead the entire year. I don't know. I can't predict that far out. I'm not very good in the prediction game, but I do think you'll see some weakness in the Magnificent Seven come the calendar turn. But, you know, that's why we've got you on the show, because I want to know what the longer game is here for some of these stocks, because maybe that weakness, if we do see some in the Magnificent Seven, is going to be another opportunity to get into some of these names. Gene, what are your thoughts? Let's just start out with the AI talk, because we know you follow this story very closely. NVIDIA has been the leader. There's been some catch-up trades where some of the other chips and some of the other semis have started to catch up. What are your thoughts on AI going into 2024 and your outlook for AI into 2024? So big picture is that we think we are in the early stages of what's going to be an incredible bull market over the next three to five years driven by AI. 
And if we're going to use the 2000 analogy, we're in 1995. It's ni- not 1990. There was a nice run from called 92 to 95. But the real substance of the run was 95 to 2000. We think we're going to see that in the next three to five years. 2024 is going to be, uh, we think, ultimately a positive for AI. But there's going to be some mixed commentary around the topic. One side is that investors have been thinking about AI now for a year and are going to want to see some substance in terms of actual contribution to revenue. And we think that there are a couple of companies that are going to benefit from that. Ideally, or most likely, it's going to be Microsoft and Meta. But the broader Mag7, I mean, obviously, NVIDIA has a benefit, but that's been obvious. The, but the broader Mag7, we're probably not going to see the real lift in terms of uh, contribution from AI. And that, I think, is going to kind of be one of the stories in 2024 is just this uh, people wanting to see more. And I think it's a head fake. I think that any sort of uh, softness on that, this is going to play itself out in the first half of the year, really is going to miss the point. The narrative could evolve to AI is going to take longer than we thought to have an impact on our lives. But these are step function changes, and it's hard to predict when each step function is going to happen. Therefore, you need to be positioned for it. And so just the biggest picture we're optimistic about AI. If we're going to put it in context of uh, other trends, we'd put electricity on a scale of 1 to 100 at 100. We'd put AI at 90 or 95. We'd put the internet at 50, and we put smartphones at 30. And so this is uh, something that we're aggressively investing in. We have a Deepwater Frontier Tech uh, ETF that is aggressively investing in all of these themes on the companies that are sub uh, 20 billion in market cap, which we think is going to be one of the big uh, uh, areas of performance. Uh, Dennis, you talked about kind of areas of weakness becoming areas of performance. The smaller companies did not perform well in 2023. We think that they will perform well in 2024. And so big picture here to answer your question is we're optimistic that we're going to come into a bubble-like uh, atmosphere in AI. And I would uh, just mention is that you want to be nimble because if you stay too long for that bubble, uh, there could be some consequences. Gene, give us a couple of those smaller names because everybody knows the NVIDIA. It's talked about nonstop in media multiple times every single day. They know that the stock's pretty. But a couple of those smaller names that might be overlooked you know, as potential AI plays here going into the next few years. Well, I'll give you one is that uh, in terms of uh, CrowdStrike, for example, I think is uh, an underappreciated name. Uh, it's moved up uh, significantly, but still is going to be a consolidator. We think they're going to make acquisitions around um, improving their security. We think there's going to be a consolidation of vendors. And we think that AI as a piece of cybersecurity is going to be increasingly important. There's a story headline today in the New York Times that's in the head of the tech section in the Wall Street Journal related to what's going on and uh, just kind of the states using AI as uh, an advantage, China versus the U.S. and uh, the impact of AI on cybersecurity. And there are companies like uh, CrowdStrike that's going to have a profound impact. There's another company that probably most have not heard of that's using AI. It's a company called NewBank. They're the fastest growing bank in Latin America. They're using AI to really change how banking is done historically in Latin America very different than the United States. You want to open up a bank account, you set up an, you set up an appointment, uh, you go in, there's probably an armed person at the front door. Uh, it takes weeks to get your account open. But what NewBank is doing is allowing AI to better assess credit risk and uh, allowing basically uh, a massive portion of un- unbanked 
uh, population in Latin America to become banked. And so that'd be another one. New bank typically falls below most people's radar, but those are the types of companies that we're investing in our ETF. Gene, I know, you know, you were cautious a little bit at the beginning of the year and then things turned. And I know one stock that uh, you participated in was Meta, uh, the least they talked about the metaverse, the better they're doing. Uh, talk about them and, you know, with expectations to some of these smaller stocks. Uh, tremendous run, not yet at all time high. Give us your thoughts on Meta. So Deepwater is still invested. Uh, we've invested for, been investors for maybe uh, last year and a half or so. And the basic theme is that this is one that's uh, ultimately going to have an opportunity uh, related to artificial intelligence. And uh, it's going to be one company, as I mentioned, that we're probably going to see a benefit from AI in 2024, which may seem a little bit odd. Uh, the reason is that they're coming out with AI-powered products. Some of those would be, uh, for example, a celebrity chatbot that they previewed a couple months ago, but also just using AI to better uh, understand and uh, understand uh, the usage, understand how people engage in their products, and how this presents itself is that we could see a maintaining or even an acceleration in their daily active users. Effectively, the algorithm that sucks you in is going to get more predictive and more powerful with AI. It's something that I struggle with as an investor in Meta, that these products are going to become more addictive. But they, the way it presents itself is that this step up that we've seen in their daily active user growth, which has been remarkable, over 2 billion people use their products every day. There's seven and a half, call it, billion people in the world. Uh, that is remarkable. And I think that the growth has been one, two, three percent year over year. Hard number to grow, but we think that they can maintain that pace, if not accelerate it. So we're still optimistic on Meta. We're still investors in Meta. And on top of that, you get the optionality around the metaverse. And I think the concept of the metaverse and the concept of spatial computing, that's Apple's language around it, is going to get a boost early this year, when early next year, when Vision Pro from Apple comes out. I think the Meta product, if I was going to put a put a scale on that, I'd say the Vision Pro I demoed it last summer. It's a ten out of ten. It's incredible. I think Meta's best product, their Quest product, is probably a five. So it's not even close to how good Apple is, but it will be viewed as the uh, kind of the product of the metaverse. Uh, there, this is again from their Reality Labs segment that is, gets almost no respect. I believe that what Meta is doing will effectively be like the Android of the, uh, the the spatial computing world, where there's a large population that cannot afford a $3,500 headset, and Meta, even though it's not it's subpar, it's still good enough. So uh, we're still optimistic on Meta. For years, you argued that Apple was not given a fair valuation, and it finally caught up. And now it has a high valuation and people are trying to justify it. I mean, uh, uh, Barron's over the weekend here. I mean, is it going to come from, I mean, they don't do many acquisitions. It's just going to come from content. Is it going to come from medical? I mean, you cannot deny, you know, the revenue declined over an Apple. What's going to pull it up by its bootstraps? Well, one of the shifts that, uh, we had talked about is this uh, shift from a, a tech company, which can be boom and bust to a consumer staple company. And we talked a long time about those multiples, about Clorox and Coke and Procter and Gamble, kind of in the mid twenties, those companies typically don't grow much, low single digits. And, and that's kind of what Apple's growth has been to. Now, Apple trades at a slight premium called high twenties versus the 
mid to low 20s for some of those consumers. So you're exactly right, Joel, is that that's happened. And then what's the case going forward is that there's, you know, when I talk about this AI gold rush that we expect in the next three to five years, I think Apple's one that has been quiet in terms of what they're doing. And we think that we came out with our predictions this year for 2024. And one of them is that Apple is going to come out with their own foundation model. And that is going to like compete with OpenAI or Gemini or Claude from Anthropic. And so this is something that would power Siri. So to answer your question, I think just them showing something where Siri becomes more conversational, more uh-huh. AI-like, I think is something where the multiple expands on Apple. So the AI piece really hasn't been reflected in Apple's multiple, and I think that that can move the multiple higher. A second piece is that they can do things to increase revenue. Now, when you're a $380 billion company, it is hard to grow revenue. And most of the streets looking for around 5% revenue growth. Like you said, it's been down for the past four quarters, but looking forward, typically 5% is where analysts are at. I think that that is uh, exceedable in part because what I think will be a growing optimism from investors around spatial computing and Vision Pro, it's going to take a few years. It's too expensive today, but this is a lights out game changer in terms of how people interact with tech, uh, specifically bringing a digital world and the real world together. And then separately, there's other things that are going on at Apple. There are things related to health and wellness, like you mentioned, those are small, but they're still orbiting around something in automotive. That's a huge opportunity, whether it's autonomy, whether it's a car. Um, I think that there's other layers that they can, levers that they can pull to get revenue and earnings to accelerate too. So I think when you put the combination together of multiple expansion, as they talk more about AI next year, along with more optimism on these other businesses that they can get into, I think you can see the stock continue to climb here. Is there any way that ai turns out to be a bust meaning that like and i'm with you i'm i'm a big ai fan too but i know i'm just trying to take you know the counterpoint here is there a way that we have just overhyped ai that it turns out to not be this game changing thing for everyone and people just reject it you know like you, like and sometimes it's annoying i have like bing popping up to me trying to talk to me and i'm annoyed by it you know trying to talk mm-hmm. to me a conversational piece is there a way that the consumer or, or is there a way just that the economy itself just you know could actually not benefit from ai and that it you know doesn't become the next internet before we uh agreed at deep water on our language about where this is going to go and what the next three to five years and all that optimism we thought hard about that topic is could this be a head fake and maybe not even a head fake could it just be impactful but not as game-changing as uh, the market is currently expecting and what we went back and looked at is the pace of adoption of consumer behavior and when there's been times when you've had this this um essentially three standard deviation to the right adoption curves, these parabolic adoption curves. And uh, if we look at what's happened with ChatGPT over the last year, that's in that camp going from call it no users to over a billion people have have tried it in a year. It's the fastest growing product ever. The last time we saw those similar types of growth, not as powerful, but kind uh, close to it, was what happened with Facebook, 2008, 2009, 2010, or the iPhone had some acceleration going from 10, 15% to 60, 70% growth. The, and then the time before that was the internet. And of course, the internet adoption, that was something where you just had to try it. Probably many reviewers are probably too young to remember what it was like, but it's one of those where it just became part of pop culture and you had to give it a try. 
of course, it took a decade for the internet to realize its uh, full, start to realize its full potential. And in the case of AI, we look at Dennis that th those first that one year adoption curves, what they look like, and this has a lot of similarities to these other seismic shifts. On top of that, as far as the rejection from humanity, consumer uh, humans, I think by nature are lazy, and when you create products that allow you to be entertained easily, think about streaming or think about TikTok and uh, social media these products that uh, allow you to uh, do things eat more easily. Uh, I think that AI, obviously, when it comes to especially information workers, there's a massive opportunity. And for consumers too, for businesses to streamline processes, make it easier for humans to be lazy. And then for consumers too, you think about the potential for all these little, uh, we'll call them paper cuts of life, where you have to talk to your garbage company or renegotiate a bill with your cable provider or uh, schedule, trying to find what the best flights are and uh, try to uh, line up schedules. All these little things can be solved with personalized AI. And I think that uh, what we've seen in the past year around these foundation models give some substance to this idea that this is in fact going to exceed expectations. A lot of uh, talk in the markets, companies, adding shareholder value. And Google's been a good stock. It's had a nice run. Not back at all-time high. But what about spinning off YouTube? What would be the pros and cons of maybe unlocking some shareholder value and spinning off YouTube or any other segments of the company? Well, the pro is that it... It really simplifies the story right now. If you think about Google's business, just really rough numbers here. YouTube is just over 10% of revenue, um, about uh, call it 55% uh, of Google's revenue is directly search related. Advertising accounts for 90%. That includes some YouTube in there too. But just generally think of this as call it a 55% search business and call it 10, 15% is YouTube. And the benefit of spinning out YouTube is right now YouTube's valuation, as you mentioned, Joel, is being depressed because there is some concern from investors, uh, not Deepwater. We do own Google because we think they're going to be one of the one, two, three winners in AI, is that there's some concern that ultimately that their search business becomes impaired because of generative AI across the Internet from other competitors, not just Bing, but it can be other foundation could be Grok from Elon's X company, things like that. So uh, by the benefits of spinning YouTube out is it just allows investors just to look at this and not have to worry about the the, the challenge of I guess the the the, uh, the the search impact on the business. And separately is there's another thesis at Deepwater that we have related to the creator economy that uh, this I mean essentially it's user generated content. We've seen. This obviously grow over the last 15 years, but I think we think we're going to see an acceleration in the growth because of some of the AI tools that are going to make it easier to build content, uh, to build it automatically, to take a brand and to accelerate and, and multiply the, the brand with generative tools. And so we see an opportunity that uh, specifically in the uh, within YouTube that they're going to accelerate their adoption uh, from that. So that's kind of the, the bull case. The, the bear case for uh, spinning it out is that a lot of the learnings that Google is doing in AI related to search is also benefiting the YouTube business. And since AI is so critical to Google, they've been talking about it since 2017, being the foundation of Google, it would be, I think, a mistake to spin it out.
Okay, last con- last uh, topic here. Just want to get your thoughts on the EV market because it's been Tesla's market. It feels like forever here now. Ford has struggled, obviously, with their Lightning product. We have Rivian as an emerger here. Uh, but just bring it to Tesla because they have been the leader and bring it to e- the EV market overall. Some people rejecting. I mean, the cars somewhat are expensive. Um, what are your thoughts here in 2024 as Tesla continue to be the leader here? And can they grow into the multiple that they've got? So in our predictions that we released today, we came out with our how we did in 2023. Uh, welcome anybody to check them out at uh, Deepwater MGMT. And uh, one of our predictions at the end of last year was that this is going to be a difficult year for EVs. And that's exactly what happened. And we, uh, what we saw, especially in the last four months of the year, is large auto companies backing off of their ambitions related to EV because uh, demand has been slow. Could be because of some consumers just getting tired of the theme. It could be because EVs typically are 25% more than a typical car. Interest rates are high, uh, probably more the latter, but a combination of both. And uh, to answer your question, Dennis, uh, how I think about the EV market more broadly, I think it's going to be another difficult year. But uh, there's one uh, vector to it that is a little bit surprising that uh, I'm out of consensus on. I actually think Tesla is going to maintain their U.S. market share. And their market share has been going down from call it 100% to now it's kind of high 50% as more of these competitors come on. Because you see four of the six major auto companies in the last few months saying they're slowing what they're doing in EVs, I think it gives Tesla an opportunity to actually maintain share, even though it's a hard thing to do. And so I think that uh, uh, to, said, to, be, to say it a slightly different way, I'm more optimistic about Tesla today than I've been over the last three years. And the reason is that I think that what uh, their competition is doing is a grave mistake. And I I believe that, uh, Joel, you've heard me talk about this. I think big brands that have been around for 100 years will be around in 10 years, but are going to be a fraction of what they are today. And I just see this uh, opportunity that the traditional car makers have presented to Tesla by backing off. And um, it's it's ugly today, but uh, absolutely, this is going to be an opportunity for Tesla to maintain share in a fast-growing market. All right. We've been on the line. Gene Water, Deep, Gene Water, Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management, maintaining his uh, bullish thesis on tech. Gene, it's always great to have you on and look forward to dialing you up in 2024. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year. Thanks, Gene. Okay. Just going back to the markets here. Uh yeah. Opened right at that pre-market low and yeah. uh, just took it out by a couple ticks. It did get the file through the downside right now. Trying to take out that pre-market high. And besides that, you got the high from yesterday. Dennis, uh, what are you seeing in the stocks? It's the Kathy Wood market here still, uh, meaning that, you know, obviously her stocks are very depressed, sitting near the lows in October. And there's been this relentless buying in IWM and ARKK since um, October, and that has only accelerated with the recent Fed pivot. And all these stocks, you know, these smaller, like a firms, you know, going up here. Unity is caught a bit and taking off here again. Upstart continues to, it's been in a consolidation period for a few days here, but looks like it wants to go again here too. And then the number one Kathy stock has always been Tesla. And Tesla is actually breaking out here this morning. It is up $6, Gene just mentioning it here. But, you know, the funny thing about Tesla, it has been had a really good year, but most of those gains came 
in the first really? half of the year. And really in the back half of the year, Tesla's been in a consolidation period. And if what Gene says, if they can maintain market share, if they can contain, like, if they, like my, it's always been my prediction that, you know, the big three are going to come in and they're going to eat up some market share. But I mean, if they're backing off an EV, Gene makes such a good point here that this is an opportunity for Tesla to continue to be 50% of the market in something that is continuing to grow. I mean, you don't think about, you know, like the EVs, like I don't even think consumer thinks when they think an EV, they're not thinking about Ford and GM and they're thinking Tesla. I mean, that thought process is Tesla's almost synonymous with EV here now. So, I mean, maybe they can grow into this multiple. Maybe it is possible. But I'll tell you right now, from, you know, from a, from a day trading perspective, Tesla's breaking out right now. All right. And we're uh, we're coming up on the uh, on the pre-market highs here. That That's uh, that's 48.30. So, Dennis, I guess from our analysis, uh, from our guest here, uh not much stopping the bull here in 2024. From, three uh, days left. Usually a continuation yeah. trade happens here. I know, Money Mitch, you're trading. And let's get your final thoughts here, too, because you've obviously been producing in the background for us. Thank you very much. We have so many guests. Money Mitch has been hiding in the background, keeping the flow going, obviously, because we're trying to juggle all these guests. So great job today, Money Mitch. But, I mean, you're looking here in the last few few days of the year. Um, you've got a couple swing trades kicking around here. What are your thoughts here just from a day trading perspective here, Money Mitch? You know, as you continue to see stocks, you know, and, and like Tesla, you know, breaking out here today. Yeah, I think you, you have to be looking in the dumpsters. We talked about this in the pre-show, right? Uh, look at the chat. What are they mentioning? Ouster, right? They're mentioning all these kind of weak names that yeah, are now starting to go happening. parabolic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the word for it. It's parabolic, right? If you look at a chart like AUR um, that was down towards like $3, and I, I, this is one of the LIDAR plays, and Alster also a LIDAR play. And I've been seeing more and more of these kind of SPAC plays that went cheap, right? Start to really get some volume on the daily charts. And that's what's telling. It's not necessarily only the price action. It's also the volume that's going into these names, Right. So I think that you need to be looking at these names, especially going into January 1st. Right. Um, a lot of these probably got their uh, their losses booked. And then now they're trying to reposition in these to try to get a good gainer for next year. So I'm yeah. going to continue to watch some of these cheaper plays versus the expensive names. Right. Those have already gone in my eyes. I don't mind day trading those and maybe a quick swing like I'm doing on NVIDIA right now. But to make like long-term investments up here it's going to be very difficult well and and i think the rotation for january is to buy some of those laggards and it almost feels like it's being front run to a certain extent here um even se i had on my list c limited and it's breaking out here today too and i'm looking and thinking you know maybe to mitch's point some of this tax loss selling is done people have sold what they wanted to sell there isn't a lot to sell in tax loss because it's been a pretty strong year for stocks especially after the last couple of months but, um, you know, maybe there is a catch-up trade in some of these smaller beaten-down names here, like the SE, um, you know, like some of the names that you were just mentioning. But um, it, it, it's it's going to be a tricky setup going into 2024. Uh, I think, you know, just be careful, you know, of just, you know, ignoring the smaller beaten-down names. Like, like the pot stocks, even, for instance, yesterday started to show <laughs> a little bit of life here. You know, they've so, been just... Mish brought that up. She she sees she potential. And the reason this is why, right? There's potential of regulation change. That's yeah. what it is here. 
So if you get regulation change and you get 280E to get off, um, that's going to be a big tax implication that gets off of these cannabis stocks and they can start looking to list. Um, and plenty of these cannabis companies are looking to list. They just can't right now. And the truth is they're setting up. And I know that a lot of people doubt these companies, but there's going to be some massive opportunities, whether you're thinking blockchain technology, AI technology, whether you're thinking uh, metaverse and maybe even NFTs, or maybe you're thinking cannabis, EVs. There's so much technology that's coming on the radar. You need to understand these themes so that you can make the best investments in this. Here's one for you too, just right on my January effect 2024. And this is definitely not an investment, but just looking <laughs> at the potential for a stock to maybe bounce that first week of January as the tax loss selling is clearly hitting beyond me. I mean, this is a stock that has, you know, just oh, been a disaster for so many people in their portfolios. And it's not even like, it's just sitting, people are sitting with bags. So if you've got a big gainer that you wanted to take, but you didn't want to book it, a stock like this over the last three, four days has started to get hit here too. I mean, it was $11 six days ago. Now it's eight. I think tax loss selling, pushing this thing down. Again, not a long-term investment. Just looking at some of these trashy companies that actually sometimes lift in the last, you know, or not maybe in the last day or two, but mostly in that first week of January here. So I wrote it on this January effect here list too. And then just looking, you know, that highshortinterest.com page that we often go to, you <laughs> wonder if some of those names, like up there is Upstart right near the top. Beyond Meat is number one. But you wonder if some of those names don't show some life that first week of 2020, you know, for maybe even like a Fisker. And again, this is a stock that may actually not make it. Um, but because, you know, people are just not buying EVs and it seems to be Tesla's market and that's it. But you just wonder if a stock like this doesn't get a little lift, maybe that first week of January. And, and, and I know that you guys might be doubting it, but uh, NFTs will be back. Everything comes in waves, guys. I don't care what you guys think about it. Every What's technology the NFT? Is there an NFT stock, Mitch? No, is there, there an there, NFT? there's an NFT technology. So you're like, yeah. you're betting on the underlining technology and that's fine um look at blockchain overall and look at crypto look how these crypto stocks are moving um mara today uh, they're moving Ryan. today the, the little mean, crypto ones have really started yeah, daily they, chart look yeah, at that daily yeah. chart that says it all right? hard to chase that now i mean these things are gone i mean this stock <laughs> tripled in a month. so i mean this is no longer a laggard like this is gone here i wonder and this has upset a few people but i wonder if you don't get a little bit of Bitcoin profit taking in January, where you actually could see, you know, Bitcoin maybe get hit a little bit the first week of January because there's some people sitting on some gains. What's Bitcoin up this year? It's got to be a lot, Joel. If you were sitting there and you know you got your crypto stocks like Coinbase, even, I mean, I'd wait three days before I would sell them so I didn't have to pay that tax bill. But Cash Coinbase sit on it till twenty five. Sit yeah, on it till so where did Bitcoin yeah. start the year? Where did it start the year? Uh, the futures right around 20,000 in the futures. And we're so. 42. So it's been a hell of a year for Bitcoin here too. I'd be careful chasing into the end of the year these stocks. I like the money, Mitch, picks that the one's a laggard. But Coinbase is definitely not a laggard right now. It has come all the way back. The stock has went from $80 to 183 If you're buying this here today, you may be good for a day or two, but I think come January, rug pull maybe in some crypto stocks. 
And I keep an eye on blockchain. I know that you guys are all about AI and I can't blame you guys for doing that. But if there's one thing that I know for certain is that AI and blockchain will come together. That's what's going to help in the future determine what is real and what is not. In a world where we have these deep fakes and everyone's seen a deep fake. If you haven't seen one, I mean, you have not not watched Twitter. So in the long run, what's the only way of verifying things? It's going to be verifying it through blockchain technology. I don't care right. what anybody we just, says. Uh, what we just be. touched the pre-market high there at 48.30, so staying in with the parameters there. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have Mark Chaikin on um, and then uh, with Mitch. And then on Friday, uh, we're going to have Kenny Glick on with uh, Aaron Bree. And I don't know if he's ever been on with him before. So. Got a couple good guests uh, to at the end of the year, everybody. Uh, health, health, happiness, safe uh, through the new year. And uh, I'll be back with you in uh, middle of next week. All right. That's going to do it for our outlook. I hope you guys have a great 24. Smash the like, team.